Um, you know how when Cam Newton's not able to quarterback because his shoulder's sore, he has a second string. Uh, well, when Lowell's shoulder's hurting, I'm the second string. So, um, so I'm part of the teaching team here at Crossroads, and so I'm, I'm going to be sharing with you today uh, just a little bit what I, I'm, I think God is um, speaking to us for 2019, hopefully giving us a, a decent New Year's resolution going into it. I chose that video because um, while as funny as it is, um, there are some parts of that that, that are actually uh, hit pretty close to home. In fact, when I first showed it to Beachy, he was like, whew, that hits, that hits a little close to home. And I think for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, um, there are some features and some options like that that we've either tried or would like to have, right? And, um, and so I want to kind of use that as a platform to talk about um, today. I titled the sermon, uh, The Proof is in the Pudding. You'll understand why in a minute, but I could have just as easily entitled it, It's Not About You. Um, because it's not about you and it's not about me, and I want to kind of unpack that for us uh, today. Part of this is, um, is, is so often when, when I'm up here speaking is uh, usually when, when the team uh, asks me to, they, they give me enough notice that I have a pretty good idea of what dates that I'm speaking, and um, I've just come to realize that often whatever the topic is going to be is usually what God is dealing with me uh, personally, so again, I, I thank you for your grace and allowing uh, God to to flush out um, my imperfections um, before you. Uh, I take comfort in knowing that that for many of you, this will hit home and 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 be uh, and speak to your heart as well. So I think all of us are, are guilty of creating our own reality and and trying to make things about us. And and the truth is, it's easy to do that. I mean, we we live in a culture that perpetuates this whole mindset that that it's all about it's all about you, it's all about me, it's all about us. Um, and this has really hit home over the last few weeks. How many of you have small children in the home? Okay. Um, how many of you have ever had small children in the home? All right. So all of you know that if if you if you don't or if you've forgotten how selfish the human condition is. Um, simply having small children is an excellent reminder um, because there is nothing um, that will make it about them better than a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old or just punch a number in there, right? Um, and so um, over this holiday season, uh, it's just been a, uh, an absolute reminder um, from God of just how um, selfish um, we as, as a human uh, race can be and, and how um, self-centered um, and self-seeking we, we are. And so... Um, you know, it's funny, uh, for Christmas, um, it, was, it was with some protest for me, but um, I was outvoted by two sets of grandparents and, and a wife. Um, so, just, just I was outnumbered, that's all there is to it. So, um, but my kids uh, got Chromebooks for Christmas. Uh, my in-laws and my, my parents bought them Chromebooks, um, which is a, a type of, like a laptop, similar to a laptop. Um, now... Like, like most things in our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we are really good at providing some, some real justification um, as to why we need something or want something, right? We're, we're really good at rationalizing and, and justifying buying those things. And, and this, um, and not making fun of my wife, she's here, I'm not saying anything behind her back, um, but my wife was, uh, was one of the ones that, that has some really good, compelling arguments, and, and that is that our kids, uh, because a lot of what they do at school is technology-driven, this will allow them to access some of that stuff, continue to do some of that technology-driven stuff um, while they're at home. Um, it'll let them do homework better. I mean, you can, you can come up with a hundred reasons uh, as to why um, it was necessary or why it was beneficial or needed. 
But the reality is, is that, that we are really good at justifying and, and qualifying those type of things. And so, you know, we had some qualifying and justifying uh, reasons for it, and so we, we got them Chromebooks. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, um, again, while technology can be an amazing, amazing tool, um, you know, one of the things we leverage technology here. I mean, we're so thankful for the people who watch online, and, and we know there's a lot of people who tune in on Sunday mornings, and there's some other um, live feed uh, venues that are going to be coming up that we're going to be using. And so, again, I'm not anti-technology, but, but the reality is if, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us, um, most of the time, we, we don't leverage technology to edify us, to educate us, to grow us. While there are some benefits, and at times we, we absolutely do use technology to do those things, oftentimes um, we use technology as an excuse to detach from community or detach from relationship, or we use technology to self-medicate, um, to uh, drown out um, the stress and the struggles of the world, and we mindlessly look through Facebook feeds, and we mindlessly look through um, Netflix and things like that, and so honest, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, um, most of what we use technology for um, is not what we justified that technology for, Right? Um, and so it was funny. I heard this quote the other day. It says, um, talking about the social media and those type of technologies, um, they're designed to connect us to those far away, but oftentimes the reality is they disconnect us from those who are closest to us. Um, and I, uh, Marianne was sharing a story of, of watching uh, a young child almost fall into the deep end of a pool um, at a place of the day because mom was distracted watching uh, looking at something on her phone and was completely unaware that that child had, had gone towards the end of the edge of a pool and was about to fall in the, in the deep end. I, I find um, at times that, that my wife and I are guilty. The children you know, have to get, try to get our attention multiple times before we, before we tune in uh, to that. And so um, it becomes you know, a distraction. And, and oftentimes what it does is it, perpe- it perpetuates this mindset that we need more and things like that, especially with social media, because let's be honest, very few of us post um, a lot of the, the negative baggage and the, and the reality of what's going on in our life. Even when we do post you know, those kind of things, we always, we always do it in such a way to, to uh, solicit the response that we want, right? And, and so, um, but most of what we post on, on Facebook is me trying to convince you how great my life is. Um, and that there's that everything is perfect and sweet, and that that I have no that I have no struggles, right? And and if I do have a struggle, it's always something cute that I put on there that's kind of that's kind of safe, right? Um, and and so again, it's just this idea that when we look through that, it just perpetuates that I need more, I should want more, I, you know, I, I'm keeping up with the Joneses; they've always got this, or they have that, or whatever. And. <clears throat> The other day, I was cleaning out our garage. We were getting ready to have a, a Christmas party, and um, and so we we were going to do some games out in the garage. And so Katie had asked me to go out and and clean out the garage. And so I went out there and was, and was doing all that. And and so part of you know, if how many of you ever moved before? Okay, had to pack up a house or something like that. How many of you, when you started to move, were suddenly awestruck at the amount of Stuff that you had, right? Like you couldn't believe all this stuff, and you weren't, he had no idea where it was all going to go. And how? And how did? How did suddenly? I don't even know how my house stands. When I think about the weight of everything in my house, I don't know how my house doesn't just come crumbling, crumbling down. And so I'm out in my garage, and I'm I'm cleaning up stuff. And of course, I got to find somewhere to put all this stuff, right? And so, like, I pick up a bag, and I'm like, "What is in this bag?" And it's a bag full of rocks. 
Like, you know, and I'm looking at these rocks and I'm going, why do we have rocks, right? And, I'm, and I, I know the reality, the answer to that question is, is that at some point in time we've probably used them or are going to use them as, as some kind of decoration for some season or something like that. And so I'm standing here with this bag of rocks and I'm going, I don't really have a real practical place to put I can't put it on the bike rack because it doesn't go on a bike rack. I can't put it in the freezer. It doesn't go there. And so I'm like, oh, I know. I'll just put it in this box with other stuff that I don't know where it goes. And I'm looking in that box and I'm going... Why do I even have that stuff, right? Like, I'm just, it's just this random decorations and stuff, and there's camping equipment and bikes, and, and I'm just, I mean, there's just stuff we play in the yard with, like soccer balls and everything, and I'm just going, I don't, I don't know how to organize and put all this stuff. And then that got me thinking about, all right, this is just one room, right? This is just one room in the house, and just how much stuff we accumulate. And the reality is, is that at some point in time, Either one of us looked at these items or someone who loves us looked at these items and went, oh, they got to have that, right? Like that's somehow going to meet some kind of need. It's going to bless them or make them feel good or satisfy something in me or in them, and we've got to have it. And so what was intended to be a blessing has now become this curse because now I'm stuck spending all this time trying to figure out where I'm going to put all this stuff. And, and then we end up throwing out stuff and, so that we can put in more stuff. And I remember coming home from Christmas. And, and so I, I don't know how your Christmas went, but my Christmas went something like this. We woke up that morning and my kids came downstairs and they had all these presents they had to get from Santa Claus, right? And so they're, they're just tearing in and they're just so amazed and they're so happy because it's everything they could have ever wanted, right? And then they get done and they play with it for a few minutes and then it all of a sudden hits them. Wait a minute, mom and dad have gifts for us too. So suddenly this, this thing that temporarily filled them is like, oh, let's move on to the next thing. And so then we give them gifts and they open all that and those are the best things they've ever had and it's their favorite gifts and this is the best day ever and then we go to my in-laws and or, or they open presents for my in-laws and suddenly those are the best and they open presents for my parents and I remember at the end of the day after my kids had opened everything and I don't know how they could have possibly gotten or wanted anything else my four-year-old looks at me and it's like what's next like just you know needing more and we're going you hadn't even finished playing with you hadn't even started playing with some of the stuff and the truth is, I would love to say that's just the heart of my four-year-old, but if I'm honest with you, that's my heart too. That oftentimes, at the end of the day, I'm left wanting or needing something or thinking I need something that I didn't get. Because I have spent most of my day trying to control my, kind of control my reality and create this augmented or uh, virtual reality. And so at the end of the day, when that reality wasn't enough... Then I'm left going, well, there's got to be something else. You know, so one of the things that we can do is let's just turn on the TV because that'll, that'll absolutely make it better, right? So, you know, I was thinking the other day about how, you know, we have this perpetual... I, I was reading this, this post and it was talking about um, how do you remember the days back when Walter Cronkite would come on television and just simply read the facts of the news... And that was it. No commentary, no expert opinions. Just simply read the facts. And it was up to you to make decisions and determine and wade through that and sift through that. But that's not the, that's not the world that we live in now, right? You cut on the TV and you're looking at the news and, and they give you just a soundbite of some fact. And then they're going to bring in a panel of expert, expert people to give you their opinion about what's really going on and what you should think and how you should feel about that. 
And then oftentimes what we have is you have this, this news cycle is just this repeat of show after show after show of bringing in these expert opinions and then they spend all their time arguing about the opinions, their different opinions, and nothing ever, nobody ever addresses the issue. Bobby and I were having a conversation a while back. I can't remember when we had this conversation, but we were talking about kind of social justice and how we as a church, we have this desire to to um, engage in social justice, but oftentimes we get into this argument, this, this round-robin argument, it kind of goes something like this. If we, if we were to simplify or use the analogy that social justice is like these people that are constantly walking off this cliff, right? And so you've got all these innocent people who are just falling off this cliff, falling off this cliff, falling off this cliff. And so what ends up happening is we start to have these arguments about, well, you know, would it be better to build a hospital at the bottom of the cliff to take care of the people or build a fence at the top of the cliff to keep people from falling off? And we end up arguing over and over and over about which one was better. Meanwhile, people keep falling off the cliff. Because we're so consumed with our own opinions or we've placed value in the opinions of others and as we're going to see in a few minutes, none of that really matters. But it, it feeds this, this uh, virtual reality that we want to buy into. For the last few months, the Lord has had me spending most of my, my time meditating on, on this this series of passages from John the Baptist and it's where John the Baptist has this crisis of faith and, and how Jesus addresses him and then addresses the crowd and if you've been here for the last few months and you've, you've gotten to hear those um, you, you know we've kind of been in a series but I'm, let me recap really really briefly for you but there's this, this scene that plays out where John the Baptist, despite all the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, all the, the proof that he's had, all the experience that he had, all the knowledge that he has, he reaches a, a particular point where he has this crisis of faith. And I challenged us with this idea that, that no matter how spiritual we, we may uh, think we are, no, no matter how tightly we, we've placed ourselves on this throne of this reality that we've created, no matter how massive we think this crown is that we've created or how many jewels that it has, at some point in time, you are going to come to the end of yourself and you're going to have this, re this crisis of faith where you're going to begin to question the reality that you've created and you're going to realize that, that, that everything that's going on around you is bigger than you that, that you, that you are not the God of this universe, that you are not the, the creator, that you are not the sustainer, that you cannot redeem yourself, that you can't do enough, serve enough, um, read enough, pray enough to do all of those things that ultimately at the end of the day that you and I are broken, sinful individuals that all have sinned and fallen short that when Adam and Eve ate of the, of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil sin entered the world and we are in need of a savior and only one can save us and that is Jesus and that is the reality that John came to. And so that was my challenge for us. And Jesus' response was not what you and I would think it would be where he just reassured John. But actually he did just the opposite because at the end of John's question, Jesus really began to go, Hey, John, it, it ultimately boils down to your question is not whether I'm a Messiah. The question ultimately is, <clears throat> is it about me or not? 
And so Jesus performs these miracles and sends the people back and he, he explains to the people that ultimately it's about me, that I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for and that you need a Messiah. It's not that this world doesn't work the way you think it's going to work, that, that, this, that this king and this conqueror that you thought was going to come and, and do things the way that you thought they were going to do it and he was going to cater to your need and your reality, that's not how it's going to be because it's about Jesus. And so today what I want to challenge you is if you and I are going to come to a crisis of faith and that that reality is going to be that it's about Jesus, that means that it cannot be about me and it cannot be about you. Because only one of us can ultimately sit on that throne. If you guys were here a few weeks ago... And I really believe this is a this is kind of a springboard of where the Lord has taken us because you know a few weeks ago Mark Appleyard was here and he shared this incredibly powerful message with us about love and about how if we're not cautious and we're not paying attention to what we're, we're going to fill ourselves with something and if we're not paying attention to what we fill ourselves with then we're going to fill ourselves with the wrong stuff and when we fill ourselves with the wrong stuff then what what goes in will eventually come out. Christmas Eve. Uh, the, the skit that we did up here and, and Lowell had talked about how he'd written that skit years ago and, and it was very powerful and it was a great reminder that if we're not cautious, you and I, as we create this reality, um, we, we can easily fit Jesus into that reality, but Jesus becomes nothing more than a memento or an ornament in this great kingdom that we've created for ourselves. And so as I began to inquire of the Lord and, and pray through, he, he took me to the last section in this chapter, and I want to read it to you. I chose the message version. I, I normally like to read from the NIV, and I was reading from the NIV, and I just happened one day to uh, pick up the, the message version. And, and when I read the message version and, and how it just translated um, to me, it's, the message version is kind of like, you know, deck building for dummies, right? It's just this really plain English that, that makes it really, really make sense. And so Jesus has reminded uh, John that the blind see, the lame walk, the, the lepers are cleansed. He goes on to, to talk about how, um, you know, ask the people, what did they go out into the wilderness to see? And he's asking and challenging all these questions. And then he goes in, in chapter, chapter 11, starting in verse 11, he said, let me just tell you what's going on here. Let me just make it simple. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the Baptist, but in the kingdom that he prepared for you, the lowest person is ahead of him. For a long time, people, for a long time now, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John, teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Look at it this way. John is the Elijah that you've been waiting and expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Are you listening to me? Really listening to me? How can I account for this generation? Now, I'm not making this up, okay? This is Matthew writing. This, is not, this was not written last week, but I, it's going to hit home for some of you, okay? Are you listening, really listening? How can I account for this generation? The people have been <clears throat> acting like spoiled children, whining to their parents. We wanted to skip rope, but you were too tired. 
We wanted to talk, but you were always busy. John came fasting, and they called him crazy. I came feasting, they called me a lush, a friend of the riffraff. Well, opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof is in the pudding you're eating. I want to spend a little time unpacking this passage for us. I couldn't help but recognize the irony as I read that of how I literally, and again, I'm not, please, I'm not trying to make this political. I understand that mixing politics and religion is like mixing ice cream and horse manure. It ruins the ice cream, right? It doesn't do anything for the horse manure, but it ruins the ice cream, okay? I'm not trying to make this political, but I literally read that passage the day that all the news medias were posting um, the president and the two incoming Democratic leaders arguing in, in the office. And I thought, man, you could not have put a bigger period on where we find ourselves in culture. And, and, and I was so encouraged by the fact that, that this is that Matthew is writing this, you know, thousands of years ago. And the reality is, is that, that Jesus is in that moment just like he's in this moment. And he says, let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the Baptist. But in the kingdom that he prepared for you, the lowest person is ahead of him. See, for you and I, there's a reality that's bigger than this, this alternate reality, this augmented reality, this virtual reality that you and I have created. That despite this, this kingdom that you and I have created for ourselves and despite this throne that you and I have placed um, ourselves on the reality is is that's not the kingdom of heaven that the kingdom of heaven is much bigger and much more vast and much more enduring than the one that you and I continuously try to create and he says it doesn't matter how great John the Baptist was great I'll give you that when John the Baptist fulfilled the purpose that we created him for he did exactly what we created him to do he is the Elijah that you've been waiting for but the whole purpose of John the Baptist was to tell you about me and so I think about how often you and I put our hopes and trust in other people and people that we think are greater or smarter or better for some of us we put our hopes and trust in the, in the people that we've married we put our hopes and trust in our community leaders we put hopes and trust in false prophets and false gods who are simply not going to measure up to the Messiah or worse than that we put our hope and trust in our own ability in our own deity and we simply are not Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say seek you first, Lenny, or fill in your name. No amount of TV shows or technology or whatever is going to equal the vastness and the majesty of this kingdom. The Lord has given me a phrase for 2019 that's look up. I didn't share this first service, but I'll share it real quick with you guys. My wife and I had taken a desk from our house and put it up at Cedar Grove. We put it in our guest house up there. And over the last couple of years, we've had a, a numerous amount of guests stay in the guest house up there, even a few pastors who have been on sabbatical and written books and stuff up there. So we went to get the 
We went to get the desk, and when we opened up the top drawer, somebody had written in chalk, look up. Okay, well, so my first thing is I looked up at the ceiling thinking I was going to find water damage or something, and I'm looking around, there's nothing there. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I was like, that's kind of interesting. But in that moment, I knew that somehow that was going to play into my next few days. So we took the desk back home. We put the desk drawer back in there. I didn't think anything more about it until the day before yesterday, I went to pick up a book that I had not read in a while. And, and it's a book by Louis Giglio called I Am Not, But I Know I Am. And I'm skimming through the book, just kind of proofing, and I open up to the second chapter, and the second chapter is entitled Look Up. So, yesterday we, uh, we went to our cabin for the day to check on the place, and I'm sitting outside in, in this, just this massive panoramic view of the sky and the mountains, and I read this chapter. And I would love to tell you that there was some big, earth-shattering, you know, mystical, uh, deep meaning to this chapter, but it was really, really simple. The chapter was basically him telling a story about being in St. John's Cathedral, and how he was observing all these people walking in glued to their technology and, and distracted by the things of this world. And when they walked into that, your breath is taken away and how you cannot help but look up at the ceiling in awe of the artistry and the architecture and everything and how no matter how significant you think you are in that moment, you, are, you suddenly become small and pale in comparison to the majesty that you see when you walk into that. And so he's reminding he was reminding the reader that for you and I, if we really want to experience the kingdom, if we really want to get ourselves off that throne, if we really want to take those crowns off our head, it starts by us looking up. And so for 2019, that's going to be my phrase, and that's going to be the, the hope that I have. Jesus goes on to say, are you listening I thought it was funny that he said that. And again, not making this up. This is 2 Timothy. I did, not, I did not write this last week. This is 2 Timothy 4. Listen to what Scripture says. Jesus says, are you listening? And I was like, man, that's such a powerful statement. And so as I began to pray, Lord, are you listening? What are you trying to tell me? I, I read 2 Timothy 4, 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Doctrine. But instead... Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them great numbers of teachers who will say whatever their itching ear wants to hear. See, in this moment, Jesus is going, are you listening to what I'm saying? Because there's coming a day in which people will no longer care about sound doctrine. There's coming a day where they will surround themselves with people that tell them what they want to hear. If you want to be the king of your own universe, if you want to be the queen of your own universe, you will absolutely find people who will graciously put you on that throne and allow you to sit there and believe that you are the God of your own universe. We do it in our relationships. How many people go into relationships thinking this other person is going to fix something or I'm going to fix them? Then he says, are you really listening? I mean, really listening. Because then he goes on to say, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. 
I was listening to a guy the other day giving a very compelling argument. He was talking about how we have bought into this myth. A lot of non-believers and, and agnostic have bought into this belief that all religions ultimately point to the same God. So he said the problem with that argument is that you, I can make a very compelling argument that there's quite possibly, it's quite possible that we're all wrong, but you cannot make an argument that we're all right. And here's why. And so he begins to lay out this case of, of how Christianity is different than this religion. This religion is different than this one. And he's going, ultimately, they do not all point to one God. And Jesus is reminding us, are you listening? Are you listening to what I'm telling you? Because there's coming a time. And, and all you've got to do is turn on the TV. I am convinced, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I believe that God is on the throne. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that believes that every single thing you see on the news is, is, is a lie or whatever. But I do believe that if we're not cautious and if we, don't, we don't filter through that and we don't look at what we're being fed and we don't take it with a grain of salt, there is an absolute assault on, on conservative belief and you are being worn down day after day after day to believe that there is no hope, to believe that your, your uh, belief doesn't matter, that Jesus is not real. He goes on to tell the people, he said, well, how do I give account for this generation? He says, you're spoiled, you're comp you complain all the time, you're self-absorbed. I know that's nobody in this room, so. <clears throat> I watched this. I want to be cautious. I'm not, uh, let me finish the story because I'm not, I'm not making a judgment of my son. It was interesting to watch him work through this and but I do want to share, my, my 10-year-old and I were out in the garage the other day cleaning up just the massive amount of boxes we had to break down. We're responsible for the hole in ozone layer. I apologize. So we, I put enough recyclables in the, in the trash out there to, to make that hole twice the size. But we're putting, uh, we're putting all the recyclables out, and this, this young gentleman that, we, uh, that we've kind of, I kind of hire him during the summer to work for us and stuff like that to, to help his family out. And, uh, and they, they live a few miles down the road, and he walks the neighborhood looking for odd jobs and stuff like that. And so we've, um, we, we take him in, feed him every once in a while, things like that. And so he had come by because he had a hole in his tire, and he wanted me to fix his tire on his bike. And so we're standing there, and while I'm working on his bike, Nathan asked him, um, as an innocent 10-year-old, would ask him, what did you get for Christmas? And he kind of hems around for a few seconds, and he goes, well, we haven't really done Christmas yet. And Nathan's going, oh, you know, well, I mean, and, and I, I recognize from the tone of his voice, and I know from the situation, the reason I haven't done Christmas yet is because he didn't get anything for Christmas because they can't afford anything for Christmas, right? But Nathan innocently does not, has not made that connection yet. So he's asking him what he wanted for Christmas. And so he starts spouting off that he would love to have a laptop. He would love to have, you know, uh, a cell phone. He would love to have, you know, this and this and this. And, um, and so Nathan's like, oh, okay, and everything. And they engage in the conversation, and then he leaves. And so I can see kind of Nathan perplexed by, by the conversation. And he, so he asked me, he said, why haven't they done Christmas yet? And so I'm going, well, Nathan, it's, it's not that they haven't done Christmas yet. Here's, here's the reality of what's going on there. And I kind of explained that to him. And, and he, he gets this second perplexed look on his face. And I said, so what, you know, what's, what's going on? He goes, well, man, that list was a, that was a pretty, pretty expensive, pretty, pretty unrealistic you know, wish list. And I kind of chuckled and I said, yeah, Nathan, that, that would be a lot to, to buy, wouldn't it? And he said, yeah, it would be. I said, did you, 
ever stop to consider that you have everything on that list? And we may not have bought it all at one time, but, but I mean, you know, cell phones are disposable now, so every time we get a new cell phone, we just you know, disconnect the service and hand it down, right? And so, so Nathan was kind of left perplexed and kind of trying to reconcile in his mind, you know, how he could see, like in that moment, he was like he was having an outer body experience. He could, he could, he could understand the, the, I don't want to say the selfishness, but he could understand how, how unrealistic and how heavy that wish list was without realizing that he's actually bought into that same, that same mentality. He goes on to say that nothing, nothing makes you happy. No matter what, no matter what happens in this generation, nothing makes you happy. Again, glad there's nobody in this room like that, right? That all of us are always content. That, that all of us never, never look and go, I wish I had a slightly bigger house. I wish I made just a little bit more money. I wish I had just a little bit newer car. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And it's always relative, right? It really doesn't matter where you're at on that continuum. You always want just a little bit more than what you have. Then he says, opinions don't matter. They simply don't. Every one of you has one. I have one. And oftentimes, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, our opinions, while we would love to say that our opinions are, round, are grounded in truth and grounded in righteousness and everything, oftentimes our opinion are grounded in self-righteousness and self-centeredness, right? Like we've, we've created this... And I'm not saying always. I mean, there are definitely some truths and, and opinions that, that aren't opinions, right? They're, they're, they're fact and they're factual and they're truth. But, but oftentimes we skew things to fit our perspective, right? You know, I think about how it, it's, it's really, it's our actions, right? It's, it's, not, it's not the things that we say. It's our actions that speak louder than words. You know, we can argue all day long. Argue all day long about, and I'm, again, trying not to be political, but we can argue all day long whether we need to build a wall or not build a wall, whether the issue's about this or the issue's about that, right? And we can, we can talk about it till Jesus comes back. But talking and giving opinions doesn't resolve the issue, right? It's actions. It's, it's, it's the people of God rising up and taking our rightful place and taking ourselves off the throne and allowing God to reign in our lives and being the men and women that God called us to be and to be his hands and feet. It's that is what's going to change the world. We can stand around and talk all day long. It's love that trumps fear. It's love that covers a multitude of sin. It's you and I being men of women in faith who humble ourselves and pray and who, who act in love and grace and mercy. And we don't give up and we, continue to, and we continue to pursue and we continue to love and we continue to be His hands and feet. That's what changes the world. But if we continue to be self-centered, if we continue to make things about us, if we continue to figure out how I can stake my claim in this and how I can get what little piece that I want and little piece I feel entitled to, I don't know about you, but it is exhausting being the king of my universe. 
The weight is crushing. The amount of stuff that I have to take care of, the amount of resources I have to accumulate, the amount of money I have to make to to keep it all going is exhausting. And the problem is, is that I don't have all the answers. I wish I did, but I don't. And so I need... I need a God who graciously removes me from that throne, who humbly loves me enough to remove me from my throne and remove the weight of my crown off of my head and, and fill me with his love and grace and mercy and ask nothing in return other than I love my neighbor as much as I love myself. Lenny, love yourself. Love yourself well. I just want you to love others as much as you love yourself. The proof is in the pudding we're eating. I looked up what that phrase meant, thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be some really deep phrase. You know what it means? It means the only way you're going to know if the pudding's good is to eat the pudding. I mean, that, that's, that's what it boils down to. If, you, if you're not sure whether it's good, eat it, and that proof's going to be in the pudding. You either like it or you don't. For you and I, the proof is going to be in the pudding. We can stand up here and give opinion. I can stand up here and give you opinions about Jesus all day long. We as a church can stand around and talk about um, opinions about who Christ is and what he's doing. But at the end of the day, none of those opinions are going to matter. It's our love. It's, what, it's, our hand, it's us being the hands and feet of God. It's us faithfully carrying out the command and the commission that God has given us. That is what's going to be the proof in the pudding. Because if we don't love well and if we don't teach others to love well, then it's just bitter. going to invite the band to come back up and I want to close with a couple of thoughts Pastor Lowell is going to be here next week I'm excited about him being here and sharing with us he's going to be, if you are not physically here, if you're watching this online, thank you for being here, I'm glad you're watching this online, but I invite you to be physically present in this house I think there is something powerful when the men and women of God come together and physically are present with one another and, and worship corporately together I think there's something powerful that happens. And next week, the chief prophet of this house is going to stand on this stage and he's going to, in his, in his wisdom and, and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given him, is going to communicate to us what he feels that God is calling for us in 2019. But here's what I know to be true before Lowell ever stands up here and says a word. That no matter what he stands up here and says, no matter what he communicates, no matter what God has for him to speak, at the end of the day, the sole purpose of what God has for us in 2019 is going to be to take the resources and the, and the property and the people that are in this building and use them to love others well and to glorify his name and to expand his kingdom. That it will not be about you and I. That after all the songs we, we sing will be sung, after all the prayers that we pray are prayed, That at the end of the day, the only one that will stand righteous and holy is the one that saved humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. I heard this quote the other day, too often the modern day Christian is so focused on the salvation of their own soul rather than the salvation of others. This world has a disease for which there is only one cure. John tells us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory. Jesus gave us a great commission. Often I often think about the great commission and I think about how 
um, we oftentimes, when we talk about discipleship, we talk about what we do here on Wednesday nights or on Sunday mornings, and, and I don't want to take away from that. I love Wednesday nights. I encourage you, if you're not plugged into Community Life Night, to get unplugged in Community Life Night. If you've been here at any length of time, you've heard me talk about how great that is. But I want you to think for just a minute when, when Peter and them were standing there and Jesus said, go and make disciples. Oftentimes when, when you and I talk about discipleship, we talk about small group studies. We talk about things like that. That would have been a very foreign concept to them. In fact, when Peter and them were told, go and make disciples, they didn't look at each other. And Peter go, well, I'll take you two. You three go over here. That's not what they did. The 12 looked and went at the world around them and went, how many can we get? And so you and I have been given a great commission to go and make disciples. And Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. To love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love others as much as you love yourself. I close with this. Sorry, I grabbed the wrong book. In his opening chapter, or opening paragraph, in I am not, but I know I am, Louis Giglio says this. Life is the tale of two stories, one finite and one frail, the other eternal and enduring, the tiny one, the story of us, is as brief as the blink of an eye, yet somehow our infatuation with our own little story and our determination to make it as big as we possibly can blinds us to the massive God story that surrounds us on every side. My prayer for you and I is that we look up and we don't miss this massive God story going on around us.